there was an idea to bring together a remarkable group of Marvel Crisis Protocol players to see if they could give something more to the community. The Christmas Present Initiative. Last Christmas, we gave you the 18 days of Christmas, one for each affiliation. This year, we're doing it bigger and better. Not just every affiliation, but every leader will get their own episode. 33 leaders, one massive present to the MCP community. Hello and welcome to another Christmas Present Initiative episode. I'm Jacob and this time I'm joined by Nate, aka Ghost Deer from the Size 3 Taco Truck Podcast. How are you doing, Nate? I'm doing well. How are you, Jacob? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, tell us, what is this present you're bringing us today? Yeah, so today I wanted to bring Asgard. Um, I have always liked Asgard and I think they've always been a little bit underrated. Um, and... I don't know. They're we'll talk about it, right? They have a lot of weird things going on, and I think they're kind of unintuitive in their actual approach to winning games. Um, but I think they're very strong, uh, both in the old world and the new world, which I'm going to try to straddle the line here and talk about both because I do think the new crises changed are fairly exciting for this roster. Okay, what is it that excites you about the roster? Then what is it that gets your juices flowing? Yeah, so the thing I really like about Asgard is that, um, so the way I approach this is I want them to be, like the first couple turns of the game, you're just going to be a control team, um, where you're going to control the opponent's positioning, try to score some points, try to get ahead on VPs, you know, leveraging the leadership to interact and get stuff more often and still be doing stuff while getting points. And then at some point, you're going to swing around and go for an attrition turn or two, right? It's kind of like, web warriors but with a lot more violence when they need to right um, because web warriors have uh all webbed up which is a good attrition card uh this roster has doomed prophecy and follow me which is a lot more damage than all webbed up will ever do yeah you're not wrong there um so is there something about the characters then that you think allows them to straddle this control aggression um dichotomy I do. Um, so they have a, a lot of their characters have displacement. Um, and like, I never figured out a good way to describe this part about Asgard, but so all the Asgardian models get their two power turn, right? There's the Asgardian rule that gets your bonus power. The rest of their kits never really seem to have like a tax on that, right? Like the cost of their superpowers is the same it would cost on a normal model right? The charges are largely two, the throws are like two to three, you know, bow is still cost two. All of their stuff costs the same as it would on any other character. They just have more power and more ability to do things in a turn. Yeah, or maybe to interact with crisis objectives, that kind of stuff too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. So uh, we're taking Thor. Now, Thor's been a, a somewhat divisive character over the course of MCP history. What's your take mm -hmm. on him? Yeah, um, so my take on Thor is that I do kind of believe he's a little bit under the curve, um, but I also think that there's ways to like play him and approach him that will help him out that are kind of unintuitive. He reminds me a lot of, uh, especially pre-buff Hulk, where he, in my opinion, should be approached as a finesse piece, right? Because the thing 
both he and pre-Hulk had going for them is a lot of ability to displace enemy models and therefore limit who can hit them back, right? Um, and so I think one of the things people need to get used to with Thor is uh, running away, right? Like I, I'll have turns where he'll like go into a fight, try to hit something, and if he misses the throw, oh, sorry, let me start over here. Thor has three power, right? Uh, a lot of people are going to start that. I was like, oh, sweet. With three power, I can charge in there, hit a guy, hit a guy, get enough power to throw something and just do a ton of damage, right? And I think that's most people's kind of default assumption with a three power Thor. I think that ends up being kind of risky because he's not that durable, right? He's kind of a squishy model uh, as these things go, where he's only death four or six health on the front side. The back side, he gets a little bit more durable, but the front side can definitely feel a little soft if you're trying to get him stuck into the middle of things. And so what I do more often with my three power throw is just walk into just within range of things, hit it. If I get the throw, great. If not, I will buy the throw and throw that thing away. Right. And just try to limit at all times. I'm trying to think about how many people can hit Thor back rather than trying to maximize how much damage Thor can do. That makes sense. I, I can see that approach. And the, I imagine your Thor survives a lot more than Thor if you're not doing that. So I, I, I can totally see that. And maybe it matters more when he's your leader as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, if you were splashing Thor for whatever reason, I mean, I think that's true of a lot of leaders, right? Where you can be a lot more aggressive with what they can do when they're not bringing your leadership. But uh, especially with the leadership, I still think the Asgard leadership is really, really good. Uh, clearing conditions and healing yourself are both just excellent uses of the extra power you happen to have lying around being Asgardian. Um, and so I want to preserve that leadership until, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, with my game plan being I'm going to try to slowly score out points and not get stuck into a fight until I'm ready to doomed prophecy and follow me and things like that. Right. And then at that point I will absolutely suicide Thor, right? Like I've definitely used doom prophecy on Thor because he was the person who could make the most valuable attacks. And then it's like, that's fine. I'm going to lose Thor, but hopefully the attrition swing I get here is going to seal up the game. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I can see that. How much do you find yourself uh, sitting back and throwing a, a shock hammer with him? Uh, fairly regularly, right? Like I've definitely, there will be turn ones where um, I will just walk up and throw, you know, walk onto a secure and throw a shock hammer. Uh, I've actually had turn ones where I don't, right? Like either because I need to interact some and want to have three power on turn two, or even just to have four power on turn two to make uh give him just a little bit more options right and so i don't i think asgard and thor in particular more than a lot of models you really should be thinking about do i need to make this attack not just can i but do i need to do it right and so like if the opponent gives me a bucky i'm gonna throw a hammer at that bucky every time right shot yeah. bucky is incredible right but like uh ran if the only model in range is juggernaut I'm probably not going to throw that hammer at Juggernaut. I'm probably just going to save my power uh, to be able to use it later and do more stuff later. Like throwing Juggernaut, for example. Yeah, absolutely. Mm, that makes sense. Okay, uh, you touched on the leadership briefly. Uh, have you got any other thoughts you want to say about maybe when you don't use it? Because, I mean, when you use it, it's pretty obvious, right? You've taken damage, you've got power, or you've got a condition on you and you've got power. But maybe is there a right time to not use it? 
Yeah. So yes, uh, the leadership I think has a lot of room to maximize value coming out of it, right? Because there are times where healing a damage on a character won't matter, right? Like uh, I'm going to oversimplify this, but if you know we're getting to the last turn of the game and Valkyrie's life doesn't really matter. She's activated. She's done her damage. She's not holding anything. It doesn't matter, right? Um, don't need to leadership her, right? There's also a there's a game to be played with this list, uh, especially into other tall teams about uh, priority control and like trying to steal priority sometimes. And so there'll be times where I won't heal a character to try to bait them into killing it if it will give me priority, right? Um, and then that's not to mention the obvious examples of just like they need their power to do stuff on their turn, right? If Thor is on three power, I might not use the leadership because that three power is such a break point. Um, so I, I actually don't think there's like an easy time to use the leadership. I think you have to think more often than not, you have to think pretty hard about what you need to do with it and how, but it's very powerful. Yeah. I mean, if, you know, Thor's staggered or something, then yeah. Sure. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Right. Let's dive into some affiliated Asgard characters then. Who have you got and who are you leaving out possibly contentiously? (laughs) <laughs> yeah so i think every asgardian that isn't named hella could totally be in this roster right um i i like all of them quite a bit i just think hella is just doesn't do enough and doesn't she lacks if she had like one bit of control like one bit of displacement then i could probably find room for her but um, i really want as many of these characters as possible to have ways to control and not just do damage um, and so I think leaving Hella at home is not contentious. Uh, the other one I left at home is Angela. And that's, so this roster that we're talking about was a pre Malekith nerf and pre new crisis, right? And so I think in that world, I was never overly excited to be playing Angela. Um, I didn't find there was a lot of times where I needed the center grab and then her damage output and her kit just isn't that good into Malakus and Juggernauts and stuff like that. It's fine. Uh, it just wasn't as exciting as the other, I wanted the other Asgardians more. Uh, in the new world, that could easily change, right? So like Angela is like absolutely the 11th model that would be in this list. Yeah, and if you see your local meta being dominated by, I don't know, Guardians or Shadowlands Daredevil or one of those guys. Or Magneto. Turning off rerolls and, and eating little models is what she does really, really well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, okay. With, with that in mind, so, so let's go through them then. Who, who are the ones you have got? Yep. Uh, so... I'm going to do the easy ones first. So I bring all three of the threes, right? So I have Heimdall, Scourge, and Valkyrie. Um, I think... So I think Scourge is incredible. I think he's the best three in Asgard right now. Um, he's just a very consistent workhorse who always does what he needs to do. Um, and just basically rarely lets me down, right? Just having that six die attack is such good damage. The aggressive plus taunt is a real fun combination um, that we can... I have some cool plays I've done with this that we'll talk about later, I think. Um, but I just being able to control where damage goes is really helpful for this roster. Um, he always has power to use the leadership. I think Scourge is just great, right? Um, I also think Valkyrie is, you know, worse than peak Valkyrie, but still a really good model, right? Uh, she's got a cheap throw. She's got a charge. She has good attacks and a good attack profile. Uh, she's one of the better models for Dune Prophecy, which 
I think a lot of this roster, a lot of Asgard's strength uh, revolves around how good Doom Prophecy is as a card. Um, and so I think Valkyrie is really good there. Heimdall is... I, so he's definitely the worst of these three to me. Um, he's a little bit too inconsistent, right? Um, his power economy is really tight. You have to be very judicious in when you spend his power on things, um, which compounds with the leadership to make it real hard. It's like, it's very easy to screw up with him. Um, I do think though that like having rerolls is really helpful for Thor, right? Uh, having the teleport can be really helpful to keep you mobile on some of the more spread out scenarios. So uh, I like Heimdall, but he definitely sees play the least of the threes. Mm-hmm. Uh, moving on to fours. Uh, so I have Enchantress because I still think Enchantress is a good model. Uh, again, kind of like Valkyrie, definitely worse than she was. No argument. But um, Bow is still really good, right? Um, especially early on in the game, uh, being able to kidnap someone who goes for a midline grab and can't escape is really strong. Moving, you know, just like walk, walk up to a center point, moving somebody off of that point is really strong. Uh, it's very hard for me to not like a model that has bow and generates two power a turn and like everything else on top of that is kind of just gravy um i also think to jump ahead a little bit but i think the uh enchantress scourge team up card is it's at least really fun every time i've used it it has been very profitable me for to do so but that i don't play the two models so often that i'm confident that i can call that card good but when I do have Enchantress and Scourge on the table and have played that card, it has been cash money. Mm. So your final affiliated model then? Yeah, so the last one's Loki. Um, I think there's a lot of different ways you could take Loki. Uh, my Loki is currently gemless uh, just because I wanted to be able to fit in. Well, my splashes are expensive and Thor is expensive. And so I just wanted it to be a little bit easier in roster construction to fit Loki in there. Um, but certainly this roster has had mind Loki uh, about as often as not. Right? I flip between the two pretty regularly. Um, Loki's just a good model, right? Uh, I mean, everybody's talked about Loki being good. Uh, Trickster is good. Counting blanks is good. Counting blanks with doomed prophecy is incredibly fun. Hmm. Uh, and also I think uh, sibling rivalry is a very good card right? Um, being able to just drop a stagger on someone guaranteed and do a shocking amount of damage uh, is really good. And so um, that's the main reason I went with Cheaper Loki too, is to be able to get more sibling rivalries more often. Right. That makes sense. So you've got what, I guess you could go for an 11 core if you needed to, but what do you find tend to be the ones you play most often of those affiliated models? Yeah, um, so it will vary a lot just depending on the crisis and which of my splashes I'm trying to include. Um, so one of the things that I think is nice about the Asgard roster today is like all, you can basically pick any combination of these six models and be pretty happy, right? There's room to optimize that based on crises and matchups and things like that, but it's pretty hard to screw up picking three of these models. Right. And oftentimes I'll actually not splash anyone and just play a lot of Asgardians. Right. I think that's another point about Asgard that is maybe non intuitive, but their affiliated tactics cards get better the more Asgardians you have. Right. Which is like obvious with like Rainbow Bridge, where it's like, oh yeah, so I can move more of my models. Um, 
but both Odin's Blessing and Doom Prophecy are stronger cards the more targets you have because your like tactical flexibility during the game goes up a lot. Right? If I have Thor, Loki, Scourge, and Valkyrie, any one of those doomed prophecy is terrifying. Right. And so my opponent has to worry about any one of those models just turning into a murder machine at any point in the game. Right. And so I do try to oftentimes I end up playing as many as guardians as possible. Yeah, okay. Uh, you mentioned your splash characters there. Who would so we've got what four slots left? Who's filling up those slots? Yeah. Uh so I have a Dr. Voodoo. Uh, Dr. Voodoo's a broken model. He's really good. Uh, he makes a lot of power, so he's good with the leadership because he can heal himself and be even more annoying. Uh, I, there's nothing fancy that happens with Dr. Voodoo in this list. He's just a good safety valve for when you're worried about an extract problem getting away from you. So that's why Voodoo is there. Uh, the other three are more exciting. So we have Wong as my chosen two threat. Um, I was a little skeptical about Wong, but with the healing cards gone, and then also um, giving a power to an Asgardian changes a lot, especially turn one, right? Like both Thor and Valkyrie become way different characters in what you can do turn one when Wong can hand them out of power. And then even later on in the game, there's a lot of times where his extra power has like unlocked something one of these characters can do right because he has guardians are all flush with superpowers right like they all have a bunch of superpowers and a bunch of ways to spend power and so that power handout is like obviously strong on turn one but has been surprisingly good for me on later turns as well mm -hmm. okay yeah i can see that i mean maybe scourge doesn't make such good use of it but you just pick someone who does right yeah yeah okay uh two slots left then Yep. Uh, so here we get into the expensive kind of spicier picks. Uh, so I have Crimson Dynamo uh, in this list because I think Crimson Dynamo does just about everything this roster wants to do besides displacement, which if he had displacement, the model would be insane. So I get why they didn't do that. Um, but when I need an anchor to sit in the middle and to keep my team alive, or when I want a shock beam like into Vince's shield, um, dynamo has just been an all-star for me right uh he's a very durable model who can make other models more durable as well and he always has a lot of power which means he can heal off the leadership basically whenever he wants making him even more durable right um so i like using him into the rapid fire teams um i also have enjoyed him into some of the fighting teams where their like dice triggers matter like i played him into a corvus led black order team which you know his defensive profile isn't great into like counting blanks right uh, if corvus starts hitting with glaive's edge he will go down pretty quickly but he's very good insurance at making sure that uh, corvus can basically never hit his flurry which means Corvus's damage output overall is kind of capped. And he's also very good at uh, helping Swan miss her triggers as well, right? If they have both Corvus and Swan, his defensive bubble means that their output goes way below their expected value because they get so much out of their dice triggers. Yeah, I can see that. Um, are you also using his uh, dice mods on other people a lot? Is that a key part of his tech to try and make your team a bit more tankier? Yeah, like um, I 
look to stop dice mods first, right? And then if they just don't happen to have a lot of those, or it's not important, I will just, yeah, I'll absolutely use his ability just to save myself some damage here and there. Um, he definitely makes every one of these models live just a little bit longer. And uh, I think that gets, it can get the Asgardians past kind of a threshold of being actually tanky, right? Because I think the base stats of every Asgardian model is like good, but you wouldn't call them a tank, right? They're definitely not squishy, but none of them are a tank, uh, which Dynamo can like with the shock and the, the rerolls can make them into actually tanky models. Yeah. And the worst thing for an Asgardian model, I mean, apart from getting dazed or KO'd, is to be left on one health. Because if they're left on one health, then you can't get any benefit from Odin's Blessing. So if you can just mitigate a little bit of damage, one bit of chip damage can actually have a massive impact on the, how a turn plays out. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So last but not least. Yep. Uh, so last one has been the most recent inclusion, which is the Sentinel Prime. Uh, and boy, have I enjoyed the hell out of Sentinel Prime in Asgard. Um, I think he does so much to help this list do what it wants to do, right? Um, he absolutely fits that kind of earlier mold I described, where he's a durable model who, with displacement, with control, who can pivot to damage when he needs to. Um, and then he can help the rest of the team do that as well. Uh, and so... I've actually, over time, you know, I put him in there at first just because like, I wanted to try it out because I think you know he always has the power to heal himself. Uh, I am running patch up in this list, which means I can just heal a lot of damage on this Sentinel uh, and keep him very healthy. And then having rerolls available in an incredibly large bubble uh, is great for you know Thor. It's great for Valkyrie. It's great for anybody when they have to switch into killing stuff. Um, and so... I put him in there at first and just kind of left the rest of it alone. I was like, oh, this actually feels really good. Hmm. And so you'll see later on, but like I switched my secures to be more friendly to Sentinel Prime so that I can play him more often because every game I've managed to fit him on the table and it's like a shape that he likes uh, has felt very strong. So we talked about having a, a kind of a core of 12, a, five, a four, and then a four and a three. With Sentinel Prime, that makes a four wide 17. Is that a common team you end up playing? Uh, yeah, it definitely can be, right? Um, I've One of my last games, I did Thor, Enchantress, Scourge, Sentinel. Uh, that felt great. Uh, I've also, you know, so I have like Researcher and it's 16. And so I have played, uh, was it Thor, Heimdall, Scourge, Sentinel on Researcher, Madman, which also felt great. Um, I think that the four wide with Sentinel around that 16, 17, 18 generally feels very good. You just need uh, like a destroyer model, right? For that Sentinel? Yeah. That'd be cool. And yeah, kind yeah. of thematic. And Thor's mm -hmm. bringing his giant robot with him to do blow stuff up and move people around. Definitely. Cool. Uh, we've already touched on a number of tactics cards, so let's let's rattle through those quickly, particularly the affiliated ones. Yeah. Um, so affiliated ones, I think I've touched on most of these, but I have Doom Prophecy. Uh, I think this is one of the best cards in the game. I think when it went to Asgard only is kind of a sideways power buff to Asgard because it is such a strong effect. It's a hard card to use, right? Which is kind of a, a continuing theme in this episode where I think a lot of Asgard tools are not straightforward and easy to use, but there's not a card in the game that ups your damage output like Doom Prophecy can. Uh, I have Odin's Blessing. Everybody knows Odin's Blessing is a great card. Uh, it keeps your stuff alive when you want it to. Um, I think... There is choices here about when you spend it, 
Um, I have seen some people spend it like if Thor totally full health, right? Healthy side, uh, and just get spiked by a big attack and people are like, Oh, well I could absorb a lot of damage. Zone's blessing and keep Thor here. But if like Thor is already activated and I don't necessarily need, like if it doesn't protect an activation, I'm usually more hesitant to play this card, right? If I don't know what I'm going to get out of doing it besides just like the value of saving damage, I'll often save it for when I know, oh, Thor hasn't activated yet. I definitely need him to get a turn. I'm going to use Odin's here. Uh, Does that thought process change at all if you've maybe got an extract on that character? Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it changes all the time based on a lot of different factors in the game. Uh, There's unfortunately not an easy rule of thumb for Odin's Blessing. Uh, I just have seen people, I think, in general, use it a little too aggressively. And so if people are taking advice out of this, the advice would be to like think hard about using Odin's and then, yeah, absolutely. If he's holding something important, I need him to keep that. I will play Odin's even if he's already activated. Um, There's a million things that go into the decision of what to Odin's. Okay. Uh, you mentioned a couple of team-up cards. Well, we don't often see a team-up card in a competitive roster. No, I mean, it's like Deadly Duo and maybe Ricochet Blast is going to come back now. But yeah, you don't see them very often. Um, and it's understandable why, because you need to have both of those characters in your roster and then in your squad and then in the same part of the table, uh, which can be a difficult demand list of demands to fulfill. Um, but I do think the Asgard ones have pretty high payouts for jumping through those hoops, right? So sibling rivalry, uh, the stagger on demand is really nice. Being able to layer in kind of more damage during Thor's turn. Like if Thor has a turn where he really has to kill something, I'll sometimes just use this card for damage so that he can like punch, punch, sibling rivalry, throw terrain at them uh, just to get as much output as possible, right? Um, I think basically everything this card does is a good payout um i think the hardest part about this is can be keeping the two models together um which is another reason why i think having you know the sentinel prime and the more centralized crises can help out with this card right i have uh, a lot of crises where everybody's going to be kind of near the middle anyways uh, which can make the positioning requirement easier to fulfill uh, yep. i also have Meet My Executioner, uh, as we kind of talked about, right? This card is really nice because as a team-up card, it doesn't have a positioning requirement, right? Scourge and Enchantress can be anywhere on the table and you can use this card, um, which is, I think, a big help into keeping it live because very often those two models end up in different parts of the board. Um, The reason I like this card is A, it's very good at letting you control where damage goes, right? Not only because, you know, you redirect a throw into Scourge, who then also reduces the damage on it, and with his four physical, is very likely to not get hurt by it too much. Um, It also means you get to teleport Scourge around the table with his taunt, right? And so it opens up ways for if somebody wants to start a fight by, like, throwing terrain into Thor, and then you can drop Scourge in next to them who doesn't die and has taunt ready to go. And it's like, oh, I guess I'm not going to kill Thor this turn. Um, it's, you know, players have room to play around it, but it opens up a pretty big pitfall for people to fall into. And then sometimes I just want Thor, or sorry, sometimes I just want Scourge on the other side of the table. Like sometimes I've just used this not because I care about the taunt or the damage, but I just want Scourge, who's usually starting a game way off on a flank on his own, to come into the center or move to where the fight has been. 
Yeah, and throwing stuff is one of the received wisdom ways of dealing with enchantress, right? Throw stuff at her. Unfortunately, she cannot use this on herself. Oh, right. Or yeah. did they? Wait, sorry. I know they added this card, and I always forget which way it changed. Uh, yeah, okay. She cannot... No, she can. That's right. The change was the like the shenanigans around like throwing stuff at Scourge, I think. I don't know. It's not important, but she can. Yeah, I misspoke. Um, so yeah, being able to protect herself from throws is also very helpful with her two physical defense. She's definitely the softest model to throws. I also, you know, if Loki's there too, Loki is another model who is soft to throws and appreciates not having big things thrown at him. Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, what about restricted cards? Again, you've already mentioned one. Yeah, um, so there's two restricted cards. One is, I think, Follow Me. Uh, I think this one's kind of a requirement for this roster to function, or at least I have a very hard time being convinced not to take it um, because it makes the doomed prophecy turn to close out the game way, way better, right? Uh, I, think, I think Follow Me is just an unfair card. Uh, I will be very happy if it ever gets removed from the game and I'll figure out something else. But as long as it's around... Uh, I think it's just so useful for making sure your big attrition turn goes as well as possible. Uh, all the Asgardians are very good at making power, uh, so it's never I've never really struggled to be able to afford this card. Uh, it's not that difficult for later in the game for one of these guys to get up to six power, uh, and just the output it lets you do is crazy. The other card I have is Patch Up. Um, this one could be Sacrifice, could be Brace, could be Patch Up. I think either one of those has legitimate merit for making it in here right um i initially had sacrifice i might go back to sacrifice because again i very much like controlling where the damage goes to be able to protect activations and to just make sure if you're killing stuff i have say in what you're killing and when uh, i really like having that control but with sentinel prime with dynamo with thor you know, even with Scourge, you have models that have rather large hit point pools uh, and just being able to, uh, you know, I've had time turns where I'm like, all right, Wong is going to heal the Sentinel. I'm going to patch up the Sentinel. The Sentinel is going to use the leadership, right? It's going to get eight health power. I guess that's too much health, but you get the idea. Uh, there's squads in this team that can really overload on the healing in a way that I think some uh, attrition teams just can't keep up with. Now leaves us with, what, three slots left for unaffiliated, non-character cards? Yep. Uh, so I have Mission Objective in here. Um, this is kind of like Voodoo. I just put it in basically all of my rosters because that's a nice safety net, right? Um, being able to keep control of extracts, especially in the old world with single extracts, I would play Mission Objective all the time because if I do have the thing, I want to make sure I keep the thing. Um, but there's not really any specific shenanigans going on with this list. It's just very good. Yeah, it uh, also plays well into Legacy Virus, right? If somebody drops that on you. Yep, yep. I'll also absolutely play it in Virus to make sure they can't do Virus shenanigans as easily. Uh, the other two, so I have Recalibration Matrix, uh, which is a relatively recent ad, uh, but I've been very happy with it. Uh, it functionally ends up being like another Odin's Blessing. Right, like I'll use it in the same circumstances as Odin's Blessing, where a attack has gone horribly wrong, and a character that I need to live looks like it's going to die. Right, um, it's obviously 
not as consistent as Odin's blessing, um, but it's still very helpful to just negate one of those big spikes that happens in a time you don't want it to. Uh, and then has kind of the ancillary benefit. I rarely use it for this, but there are times where you're going off on your like Doom Prophecy murder turn where one of your attacks just goes terribly, right? Like you just totally roll a bunch of blanks and shields and it's, it's awful and you need that attack to go through. And so having a little bit more insurance on that turn is very helpful, but it ends up being used defensively way more than offensively. Mm-hmm. Last one I've got is Face Me um face me the more i play this card just kind of in general and in marvel the more i really like it um it's a very good card for catching models that are trying to run away with stuff right um models like black cat or toad or two point widow um anything in that genre uh i'm very happy to have face me to bring them back to me right um because this is like threefold benefit of like a they get closer so i can interact with them cool uh, and then they tend to be faster models, which means they can you can get them really out of position, right? Like you could moving Black Cat long against her will can put her into some real terrifying situations. And then also a lot of those models just don't have good attacks, right? So like the downside of they get to make an attack isn't so scary. Um, there's a risk with Black Cat where you might get staggered, um, but uh, or the elusive is actually usually more worrisome than the staggering part. Uh, and you have to chase her a little bit. But even still, having Black Cat, who's range far away from you, move towards you long and then away short is still pretty profitable for you, right? Um, and so it's better if they miss the elusive, of course. Um, but even when they hit it, it's still largely an improvement from the situation you were in when you played the card. Um, so I really liked it in those matchups where I think I'm going to have to chase a model. Yep. It all checks out. Um, were there any other cards that maybe with the changes maybe to Malekith and some of the crises changes, is there anything that you think might drop out, maybe drop in? Yeah. Um, so I'm, I don't think you would necessarily need mission objective as much anymore. Um, well, you don't definitely don't need it as much. Uh, you may still need it for virus, but with the single extracts gone, um, that was one of the bigger reasons I had mission objective. Um, so that slight slot might free itself up to be something more exciting. Um, I would very much like to have fallback in this roster. Uh, I think fallback is just a generally very good card that does a lot of the things that I've mentioned already that I like my cards doing, which is to protect models and to control when damage happens and where. Um, but I also think that the new meta is going to have a lot of Shadowlands Daredevil and that rapid fire list is going to come back in a big way. Uh, and so having fall back there to break out of the rapid fires seems super useful mm, yep i can see that what about let's turn our attention to crises then um mm -hmm. you win priority do you have a preferred choice of extract or secure or does it vary a lot yeah it often varies based on what my opponent is doing right um because like so my extracts i in the old world I have cube infected and research station, right? Uh, research station, because I like having a big central fight as we've kind of touched on. And then spider infected and cube I wanted um, because I needed to make sure that I have options for the game to not go to turn six, right? I don't really love Asgard in like a 
alien ship demons game, right? That you know is going to go to turn six for sure. I don't think their durability gets them to the finish line very well. I think they're very happy to go three or four turns and will feel durable for those first four turns. But once you start getting into turn five and six, uh, the wheels can come off the bus pretty fast. So I wanted to make sure I had very live extract. So if I get into like a Malekith who wants a slower secure, I can still keep the pace of the game up. But obviously, I do not want to play Spider Infected or Cube into Web Warriors, right? Uh, that does not sound particularly fun for me. Yeah. And so <laughs> there's some, I don't love my extract choices in the old world, but I think it's, it was making the best of what I could do. And so if I'm winning priority, it's just trying to figure out what my opponent wants to do and then picking whatever option is least good for them. Hmm. With Spider Infected and Cube, with that one center extract, a lot of people might be going, well, why haven't you got Angela there to go and get that center extract for you? Um, yeah, it's, I would love to have Angela. Like I said, you know, Angela would be my <laughs> 11th model. Uh, and it would be very nice to have Angela in there to grab that. Um, but I've found that oftentimes I'm generally happy to let as long as my opponent doesn't have an Angela or an Amazing Spider-Man that I don't see very often, I'm fine if they want to go get it. And then I'll use something like Enchantress to drag them in and punish it for it. Right? Like I've had games uh, where my opponent will put like a loop cage to go grab the center model. And then it's like, all right, Enchantress walks forward, bows him in, beams him a little bit. Uh, I had Wong, so Wong gave Thor a power. And now Thor is in range to charge Luke Cage and punch him twice turn one. Um, and so situations like that have been good enough, but obviously I do think those are ones where having Angela here would help out a lot. I just haven't figured out who I'd be willing to give up to fit her in here. Yeah, that's a fair answer. Um, and your last one, Research Station. How do you feel Asgard plays on that as a as a crisis? How does that game plan pan out? Yeah, uh, I think Researcher with the addition of the Sentinel Prime has been felt great. Uh, I don't know if we're necessarily like the best in the game at it. It wouldn't surprise me if there are some factions out there who can do better than us at Researcher. Um, but having Prime having a place to sit in the middle of the table, uh, knowing that he can do a lot, his bubble will be very effective, his gunshots will be effective, the web line, whatever it's called on him, restraint cables will be very effective, um, has been great. Right. And like the team I mentioned before of Thor, Heimdall, Scourge, and Sentinel Prime does feel very good on that. Right. You have Thor and Scourge who can like handle the wings and be a little bit more mobile. And then Heimdall and Sentinel can just be a bunker on the researcher towards the middle of the table and hold that down for a very long time. Mm, yeah. Okay. I can see that. Let's turn our attention to your skewers. And there's kind of a, a theme picked up, which you kind of have mentioned and then talks about directly there with researcher. Fights in the middle of the table, right? Yeah. Um, so I have gamma, meteors, and intrusions, right? Um, I A lot of people like Asgard should be playing a lot of the pay to flips, which I do think they are like second best in the game at pay to flips, right? Um, I think X-Men edged them out a little bit just because of what the storm hop can do for letting models make attempts at stuff that they couldn't otherwise. Um, but I do think we're like the second best at pay to flips. Um, but with this roster, I've cared more about the shape than that pay to flip mechanic, right? Um, because I do, I am trying very hard to leverage Sentinel as much as possible. 
Um, so meteors gets to stay in there because it's a pay to flip with essential shape, which is great. Uh, and then intrusions, I think, is has felt also very, very good for Asgard. Um, the health cost for teleporting can be kind of easily offset by the healing that we have. Uh, and just giving that additional mobility onto our models is great. So then, you know, if Thor doesn't have to charge and can just pay one to go through a portal and then double attack, that's way easier for him to do, right? And then he's more likely to have his power to get his incredible throw going instead of having to charge. Um, and so I think that additional mobility is very much uh, a thing Asgardians like to see. So those two, I think, have felt the best. And then the third one I have is Gamma Wave, which can be a little spooky, Um the 15 threat is not ideal. Uh, I think the really good gamma teams are absolutely better than me at this one. Um, I just haven't found a secure that has felt significantly better for me than this, right? I think spider portals and madman as the other peta flips are kind of too spread out. Uh, I do think sword is interesting here, right? Um, playing Thor and the three threes uh, is a pretty good 14. Uh, that I think is totally competent at sword. I worry that if I get that into like X-Men, they can have better 14s than me and at least more flexible because I don't have a lot of options at 14 besides Thor and the three threes. Yeah. 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 Um, but you said you've got some thoughts about what the brave new world might look like for Asgard. Yeah. So I'm very excited about crisis choices in the new world uh, because I do think there's a lot more options in the like happy middle ground where Asgard wants to be, where they're not super, super fast, but they're not dead slow. Like alien ship and skull was right. Like there are no more extracts that can score zero points, multiple turns in a reasonable method. Right. Um, so I haven't gotten games with these yet, but I did want to at least talk through my thought process about where mm -hmm. I'm going to start with Asgard. So I am currently keeping cubes. Um, I think the cube damage is less of a penalty for us than a lot of other people because we have the leadership to heal it off. The bonus power can open up a lot of things like Valkyrie holding a cube feels like old Valkyrie again, which is great, right? The walk, walk throw is online no matter what uh, on top of being able to just do more damage. Um, so I'm keeping cubes and then dropping the other two for uh, the new alien ship, uh, which I think, in my head feels really good right so for people who haven't memorized all the new crisis yet right alien ship is the sea where there's the three cores across the middle you can only hold one and then they have the rule where if you have more than three power uh you roll some dice in the cleanup and you might damage everyone around you um this kind of follows my theory with cubes where the damage on us is easier to mitigate than our opponents um and so a lot of times, you know, since it does damage to enemies and allies around you, uh, it ends up like softening up the things you're trying to kill, even if you also take the damage, right? Like if Valkyrie is across from a model and they both take a damage, I'm usually happier about that than my opponent would be. Um, mm -hmm. There's also shenanigans you can get into with how many throws and displacements this team has, where, you know, Enchantress can bow an enemy holding one of these into a big pile of enemies, right? And then they might just hold themselves up and a bunch of their friends. Like, you have a lot of control over where your opponent stands, which means you can try to, like, set up good explosions uh, with that control. And then That's I a think, fun angle to explore, isn't it? 
yeah i don't know how consistent that is right because it's you know it's scholaring a wild on three dice so it's not great odds but it's one of those things where if it does go off could cascade really badly right mm. uh, like if multiple bombs go off in an area and then you do the dune prophecy thing uh you could go from like losing a side to winning it very quickly if the stars kind of align there so i'm excited to test that one out <laughs> uh the last one i have is the the new paranoia pummels populous one uh this is one i'm not sure about it's the tempo i want like i really like this being only four points ish with an asterisk on it and then core being three points i think is about the right pace that we want um i think similar to the other one the damage here is easier for us to mitigate than most teams right uh, it's not you know we're not healing factor characters so it's not that good for us but the damage for picking up the early disturbances is at least something we can get rid of later on if we need to um, which i think is helpful uh i'm not sure how often we'll really be able to get the bonus vps because the asgardian models tend to end up being spread out a little bit and there's just like less you tend to have less stuff on the table uh so i'm not totally sure if the bonus vp is going to be a realistic goal um but i do think the four tokens really i'm taking this one because i wanted the four tokens uh, hmm. and we'll kind of see with how everything else goes but this one i chose for the pace of the game yeah that makes sense if someone's looking to get into asgard how easy an affiliation is it to pick up and, and get working properly um i think it's it's easy to get like the basics going right um i think they're like a faction that is made up of cliffs and plateaus right and so when you first get started um i think they can be pretty easy because they have the two power makes things kind of easy um you know thor and enchantress and valkyrie and scourge are relatively straightforward models um especially like in a new player versus new player game uh you can do pretty well just getting them stuck in the fight and using their good dice and their good attacks and throws uh and then uh, once you've learned it's like oh i had priority i want to play doom prophecy murder some stuff play follow me murder some stuff uh that is once you know the timing of when to doomed that is pretty easy to execute on and is very powerful right um, and so that's kind of my recommendation for someone new to Asgard trying to get a hold of this is play some of the Asgardian models and just focus mostly on how you timed your Doom Prophecy and or follow me. Uh, and you won't necessarily play those cards on the same turn every time, right? Um, the, there is a kind of parallel play where I'll use follow me on a turn to get back-to-back -back activations so I get priority the next turn and then I'm going to Doom Prophecy right um don't yep. think that you have to play those two cards linked but the combination of output you get and the synergies between them is very strong and that would be where i would focus on as a new player because i think it has the most obvious rewards like the most obvious gains of like oh this feels really good i see i see what's going on here <laughs> if you were uh, looking for a christmas present from atomic mass games maybe uh, another affiliated model to go in your Asgard roster. Who would it be? Or maybe what kind of powers would they have? Yeah, I wish... So I've been thinking about this question because I knew it was coming listening to the other episodes. Uh, and I wish I had a more original answer, but I don't. I really just want a Jane Foster Thor that's a four-threat leader, right? Um, I would like having a second leader 
I think every faction likes having a second leader. It just opens up a lot of flexibility and options. Um, it almost doesn't matter to me what the leadership is. It just needs to be a good leader. You know, as long as it's not X-Men Blue, uh, I'll, I'll be happy, right? Uh, just to open up more options to build squads and hit different threat levels, right? And to like include Sentinel more often in different situations. Um, I know a lot of people want an affiliated two, but I actually kind of don't. I like the design of some of the factions this game kind of being more elite models, right? And I like that like Asgard and Black Order, I think don't have an affiliated two and probably shouldn't get one just for kind of faction diversity reasons. And so that's kind of why my focus is on just a four threat leader. I'm going to take a three threat leader if you give me one, but I don't think they're gonna. Uh, so a four threat leader, I think would be really exciting. Mm, okay, cool. Well, man, um, if people have liked what they've heard and want to hear more from you, where can they find some of your stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so as you mentioned at the top, I'm on the Alfredo Size 3 Taco Truck, a Marvel Crisis Protocol podcast, uh, which you can find, should be on everywhere, Spotify and all that good stuff. Uh, we've got a Discord. We've got a Twitter account. You can find us there. Uh, and then I myself am in basically every Marvel Discord is Ghost here. Um, so it's pretty easy to find me if you want to talk to me about asgard or x-men or just anything uh you can at me on there you can dm me uh i'm pretty open and happy to talk to people about any any marvel stuff so don't be shy awesome man well thank you so much for coming and giving us the gift of asgardians yeah thanks for the opportunity to talk about it. and have a really happy holidays yeah you too jacob